This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Holy and triune God, you so love the world that you gave your only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Grant that we may receive your gift of life anew. Amen. You may be seated. When I was about 10 or 12 years old, I saw Picasso's painting, First Steps. Has anyone seen that? It's a painting of a mother standing behind her child, her toddler, who is about to take his first steps. For me, it was dislike at first sight. I hated it. The painting was dark, it is dark, it's dark, it's disjointed and disturbing. The figures are geometrical and abstract. I did not understand it. It was not until my godmother, who was standing behind me, sort of whispering to me as I was looking at it, taught me how to look at it, how to see it. It was only then that I began to appreciate and actually ultimately love the piece. But without somebody to help me and to guide me, to teach me to see, I just didn't have eyes to see it or the imagination to comprehend what it was that I was seeing. I just didn't get it. I needed new eyes. In today's gospel, we find someone else who needs new eyes and a new heart. In verses 1 and 2 of our gospel reading, we meet Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader. Pharisees are often portrayed as sort of nitpicking, hypocritical legalists who are out to get Jesus. This caricature, though, is not actually the full picture. Pharisees were really serious about knowing the will of God. They were seeking God's kingdom. They really cared about the truth. Caring about the truth can be a rare thing. As Winston Churchill once observed, we occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of us pick ourselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. Not so with the Pharisees. They were actively engaged in seeking the kingdom of God, but at the same time, they were blind. They were so invested in keeping the laws and following the religious laws, they couldn't see any other way. And they had become self-righteous, convinced in their own knowledge and their own understanding. Nicodemus appears to be different. He seems genuinely open and curious, and he comes by night for this conversation with Jesus. It's not exactly clear why John included this little detail about it being nighttime. It could suggest a time when the crowds had gone home and maybe it was a little more peaceful and he could have a private conversation with another teacher. It could also indicate that he was meeting with Jesus under the cover of night so that the other Pharisees wouldn't know what he was doing. It could also be that John uses light and darkness day and night as significant metaphors throughout his gospel. They often function as contrasts representing the spiritual life and spiritual death. 
Truth versus lack of understanding, belief and unbelief. In any case, this evening encounter, at this evening encounter, Nicodemus affirms Jesus as a rabbi and as a teacher. And furthermore, he recognizes that Jesus is a miracle worker. He's impressed with the signs that Jesus has done, like turning water into wine in Cana at the wedding. For Pharisees, signs and miracles were authenticating marks of a prophet, one sent from God. The Pharisees believed in a future, a spectacular, visible establishment and restoration of the glories of King David's kingdom here on earth. They were awaiting a descendant of King Jesus as the anointed Lord who would turn everything that they were experiencing into an earthly paradise. They religiously kept all aspects of the law so that they would be prepared to usher in this kingdom. Just as Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, so too he topples this notion. In verses 3 through 8, he tells Nicodemus that in order to see, in order to enter, in order to participate in the kingdom of God, everyone needs to be born from above, to be born again. Perfectly keeping God's law does not provide entry into God's kingdom. A new creation is needed for this new kingdom. Only by being born anew, born from above, born of God, can one enter God's kingdom. God the Holy Spirit, who hovered over the waters of creation, who hovered over Jesus' conception, is the one who will create life anew in the hearts of those who simply believe. In verse 5, Jesus says, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Water and Spirit. Some commentators think that there might be a link between water and natural human birth and the Spirit as the Holy Spirit for a spiritual birth. Others make a connection with baptism. Yet another way of thinking about Jesus' reference to water and the Spirit is to look back to the Old Testament. Nicodemus, being a theologian, would have been steeped in the Scriptures and probably would have caught the allusion to uh, Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 28. In this passage, God's future plan to renew the hearts of his people for all all of his people, um, is written in the words of the prophets. The prophet, speaking for God, says this, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Water and spirit speak of a God-given transformation. No human effort, no human understanding, no religious affiliation can bring about this new life. But that doesn't stop us from trying. We're, we do um, all sorts of things to bring about a better world as we pursue it on our own apart from God. Some look to political parties or 
platforms to bring about peace and justice, but it's not a peace that will last or a justice that endures. Others are committed to deconstructing the collective wisdom of this world and reconstructing alternative worldviews to bring about a better future. But these two fail. There are even some subtle ways that as Christians, we might be tempted to bring about a better life, such as turning wholesome spiritual disciplines like following a rule of life into an exercise of human effort. We should take care lest we fall into the trap of having faith in following the spiritual practices as if they would save us, that they would make us holy, rather than relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us in our practices of prayer, of fellowship, of fasting, of Bible reading, all those good things. So like us, so often, Nicodemus is struggling. He can't yet see because he doesn't have spiritual eyes, despite himself being a teacher of Israel. Nicodemus needs new eyes that come with new birth, rebirth by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Birth from above is what's necessary for life in God's kingdom. Nicodemus here is still thinking on this natural level, and Jesus is speaking about the sovereign work of God. It's like they're not, they're not connecting here. It's mysterious what Jesus is talking about. It's beyond human comprehension. Mysterious as the wind that blows. We can see its effects without knowing exactly where it comes from or where it's going. Being born again is, is not an exact science, but there are outcomes. New birth visibly transforms those who receive it. You see a difference. You experience a difference. Life becomes different. I remember when I had this experience of being born anew. Um, it just happened. People were praying for me, and I had been on this journey of belief, and when they prayed for me and something welled up inside of me, it's hard to explain, but it's like scales came off, and I knew that I knew that God loved me, and it just... It went from like being watching a movie in black and white to watching in color. This new experience happened that I can't claim that I did anything for it because I didn't, but I received it. Jesus explains to Nicodemus that everyone, even the religious, and perhaps especially the religious, needs to experience this new birth in order to see or enter the kingdom of God. It's all about life as it was meant to be led, life with God under the rule of King Jesus. A newly, uh, a newly created heart is required for the new life with God. So how do we access this life, this new birth? By being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts. It has nothing to do with pious effort, religious law-keeping, or trying to be good. In verses 10 to 15, the conversation moves from this work of the Holy Spirit in being born anew to the work of God the Son. Here Jesus shows that new birth is for those who simply believe. Believe that he's the Son of Man. Believe that he came to die for our sins and to reconcile the world to God. 
and to live with him forever. New birth is for those who simply believe. What does it mean to simply believe? To answer this, Jesus references another account that would have been familiar to Nicodemus. It's found in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. In this account, the people of Israel had become faithless and were complaining against the Lord, who, had sent, who then sent poisonous snakes among them. Many people died. And when the people finally repented, God told Moses to do something very strange. He told them to affix a snake to a stick and hold it up high and tell the people to look at it. And when they did, they'd live. Is that weird? So weird. But here's the thing. Those who looked up lived, and those who didn't died. Simple. They simply believed look up and live, look another way and die. Jesus draws the parallel, uh, draws a parallel. In the same way that those who face the penalty of death for their sins, they can look up to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and receive eternal life. It's that simple, but maybe it's not that easy because we have to trust. Simply trust that Jesus died for your sins. Repent and believe. Turn from sin and unbelief. Just as Jesus turned water into wine, so so too by his sacrifice, he transforms us into something new, new creations, remade in God's image, fit, fit for a new life in the kingdom. We're finally fit for a purpose, new life in God's kingdom now. No more waiting, no more looking, looking for a future event. We are reborn into God's family, and we bear a family resemblance right now. Being born anew means we're fit to bring God's justice, mercy, forgiveness, grace, and love to a world in need. Justice, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love, we can bring it to our homes, to our workplaces, to our schools, when we face hardship, suffering, and and injustice. And while our role in spiritual rebirth is passive, something only the Holy Spirit does, we play an active role in believing. Believe that Jesus, God's only Son, was sent and given for the salvation of the world, a truth that we receive by faith, a gift from God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual reality that can only be seen when you have spiritual eyes. God the Holy Spirit brings this about. God the Son gave his life that we may have new life. And God the Father gave his precious gift of love for the sake of the world. And that's what we find in the final verse here, John 3.16. How many of you have seen this on a billboard or at a sporting event? People just write, John 3.16, here it is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. The word used for world here is cosmos. God so loved the cosmos. That word is usually and normally um, meant to indicate hostility to God's will. 
Commenting on this, pastor, this passage, Pastor David Luce writes this, to capture the force and scope of God's unfathomable love, one might translate the verse, for God so loved the God-hating world. The God-hating world. He continues, God does not ask the world if it wishes to be the recipient of his love. God just goes ahead and loves, and not only loves the world, but gives his son over to death for the sins of the world. God's love, surprising, all-encompassing, unasked for and undeserved, is also given unconditionally. God loves us, whether we like it or not. In the face of that kind of love, we're likely either yield to God's love or run away screaming, for no one can remain neutral in the presence of such extravagance. What about you? Will you yield to God's love? Will you entrust your life to him? Or will you turn and go your, your own way? While God's gift of eternal life is available to everyone, not everyone is ready to receive it. And I wondered this about Nicodemus. He seems sort of slow to receive this, this good news. I wonder, what will Nicodemus do? He turns up two more times in our gospel. In chapter 7, we see him defending Jesus, albeit obliquely, before religious leaders regarding a procedural matter. Perhaps this is a step into the light. He shows up again in chapter 19, where he openly brings a hundred pounds of burial spices to minister to Jesus' crucified body. He's stepping out into the open. Could these actions be signs of a progression as he moves from the shadows and into the open? Perhaps it's mirroring his spiritual life from the darkness of unbelief to the light of belief. I hope so. He started out unable to see or understand the beauty of God's plan of salvation, just as I could not see the beauty of Picasso's artwork. I needed someone to reveal it. Nicodemus had that time with Jesus. He got to see Jesus enacting the kingdom. He saw his actions, he saw his life. He needed simply to believe. What about you? Has the Lord opened your spiritual eyes? If you haven't received new life from above, ask someone this morning to pray with you. Invite God the Holy Spirit to transform your heart. Come home to God, who loves you more than you could imagine. If you have been born anew, is there someone in your life who doesn't know and trust Jesus that you might pray for this week? Maybe you could get together with a Christian friend and commit to praying together for that person's salvation, that they would see and that they would know. And again, if, if you've been born again, is there someone with whom you can share your faith? Is there someone God is putting your, on your heart who needs to know that God loves them that want, and wants them to come home, come back to the family? How might you tell them about Jesus? Let's pray. On this Trinity Sunday, we give you thanks, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for this extraordinary gift of being born again. May you, our triune God, stir up this gift in us today and in the coming week. Amen.